0: Welcome to Business School. My name is Stephen Cool. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Burrow, a direct-to-consumer furniture brand.
1: My name is Phineas Ellis. I am the co-founder of Stereotype Studio, a podcast production company. This is a show where we explore the many aspects of consumer startup culture.
0: And today we have a really great guest, someone I've known for several years now, Ted Wright. Ted is the founder and CEO of Fizz Marketing. Ted, we met... You were speaking at Wharton in Dr. America's
2: Reads class. I was. That's how we got connected. That is totally how we got connected. You came up to me afterwards and said, I've got an idea. Do you want to see my deck? So you were definitely like like every other business school entrepreneur, like, I'm going to change the world and here's my deck that proves that everything is true. (laughs) Yes. Well,
0: you, you said a lot of interesting things in that class talking about word-of-mouth marketing. We covered influencer marketing. I thought it was super helpful in how we thought about how we were going to go to market and, and get the word out there about our brand. And so that, that's what I want to talk about today. Before we get into what Fizz Marketing is, your company, can you explain to everybody what is what is word-of-mouth
2: marketing? So word-of-mouth marketing is simply the organizing of conversation that goes on anyway between two people and trying to drive that in an organic way, but in a way that benefits the bottom line of your company. So the reality in North America today is eight out of 10 North Americans do not believe that anybody, including you, Stephen, apologies, but anybody tells the truth in their advertising. And this is juxtaposed against seven out of 10 of those same people trust other people like themselves. So when Phineas tells me that greats are these fabulous shoe in New York City, and I should check them out because he's seen them and he knows Ryan, that means a whole lot more to me than Ryan putting one of his ads on Instagram. Because if I'm the average American, I think everybody is going to say to me, oh, my stuff is awesome. You should totally give me your money. But Phineas, who we've known each other for a while, he says to me, hey, Ted. You know, his story is basically this. Hey, Ted, I know this about you. I know this about this thing. You should check this thing out and here's why. And that, which in the United States, that conversation on average lasts 32 seconds. That is 10 times more likely to be believed and 100 times more likely to drive trial. So that is what word of mouth is and why people should care. This
1: is sparking so many follow-up questions, but I'm going to try to stick to script early on uh, because we have a lot to get to. But it's obvious to us probably, and certainly is after that description, but how is this different from influencer marketing?
2: So real influencer marketing, it's no different. In fact, I'm the guy in 1999, way back when we all wore dinosaurs to school. And back in 1999, I wrote the first modern paper on... Word of mouth marketing, I just called it influencer marketing at the time. So, influencer marketing as we know it today is fundamentally a fraud. It is fundamentally somebody paying somebody else to get on some channel that is broadcast, but is less expensive than like network or cable TV that is functionally free. And you are paying somebody to say something. Now, they may believe it, they may not believe it. Nobody really knows, but you're definitely paying them. So real influencers are, as we three years ago renamed it, advocates have three particular personality traits that drive them. They like to try new things because they're new. They love to share stories with their friends, like three times more than normal, and they are intrinsically motivated. So Phineas, getting back to my great shoes example, by the way, hi, Ryan. Not an investor, not really even a friend. I just like his shoes. Phineas, when you tell me about greats, if Ryan then sent you an email and said, hey, man, every time you do that, I'll pay you 50 bucks, you would literally, as a true advocate, you would turn away and walk away from the brand. Why? Because that changes you from somebody who's sharing the story and change it into somebody who's selling the story. And you, Phineas, the pretend advocate in this conversation, you get so much joy out of sharing a story with somebody else that you are worried that if people you talk to think you're getting paid to do that, they won't listen to you as much. And so you being paid to share the story about burrow, about grades, about fizz, about anything, for true advocates, for true influencers, that actually turns them off. They'll actually back away. So what you have in, quote, influencer marketing is a bunch of people, and it's a noble profession. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It just has nothing to do with actually being an influencer. They are people who want to be on their version of television, whether that's on the little screen via TikTok or that's on ABC or Fox News or whatever. They love doing that. And they want to get paid to do that a noble and awesome profession has zero to do with being an influencer
0: are there forms of influencer marketing and you talked about before the original influencer marketing is word of mouth marketing but in the traditional form of having a celebrity spokesperson are there
2: what are examples of that working
0: versus not working
2: well i think there's a ton of examples doing that hi i'm michael jordan and here's my shoe Right? Yeah. That was awesome. And nobody was going to pay attention to the shoe until it's Jordan. But nobody said, Hi, I'm Michael Jordan. I'm an influencer. They said, Hi, Michael Jordan, you're famous. Everybody would like to be able to hang preternaturally in the air. Most of us cannot do that. But we could all wear your shoe. And just like we could all drink Ed McMahon's vodka or drive James Dean's Porsche. Everybody wants to be a celebrity or some part of celebrity. There's no problem with that. And there's nothing offensive, wrong, or ineffective with that. It just isn't influencers. So that is the difference between I'm going to hire a celebrity to be an influencer versus I'm going to find all the Phineases in the world or Phinei, whatever the plural of a Phineas is.
1: Yeah, it's Phinei.
2: When you're sitting there thinking about... Advocates and you're thinking about influencers as we currently define them as I'm a size zero and I'm on some beach somewhere with fake eyelashes and here by my coconut water or something, some version of that. You just need to you just need to use the right tool for the right occasion. And and we know that most of America is in on the joke for influencers, and it's very rarely do they move the needle for a product but sometimes they do so if you're trying to sell makeup to 13 year old girls and it turns out you can make a lot of money using influencers but it's pretty rare it's extreme if you actually look at the money so if you look at like all of the influence marketing programs and then you tally up for the brands all the ones that they think were roi positive you get about a two percent return which is why there's so much patently obvious fraud like the wall street journal keeps reporting on in the sector but since you asked about celebrity, nothing wrong with celebrity. Celebrities are great. Celebrity endorsements are fabulous. You just have to use the right tool for the right thing.
0: That's right. It, like, and it's it's such a great example in sports to have sponsored athletes because you see them and you're like, I want to be like them. You know they're getting paid, but you don't care. Like that's sure. part, you know that's part of the deal, and so you listen to them. But to your point, you have to know your company and your audience, like for us at Burrow, we've talked about that. I've had conversations with you about should we have any sort of celebrity endorser um, to promote the brand. And when it comes down to it, you like what couch Tom Brady has, has no bearing on what couch I'm going to buy because I know he's being paid for it. And also this is something that's going in my home. It's a very private thing. I care about my own style, my own comfort. And so that has no, it's not going to influence my purchase decision. So we as a brand would be just blowing money away if we were to pay a celebrity to promote our products, I think.
2: Right. And for all of you that are listening to this, let me just talk over Steven for just a second. You really need to be thinking about the word advocate. You really need to think about somebody who is out there going to share your story and do it because they want to, not because they're getting paid to do that. Right Steven knows this math. Ten percent of your population has that advocate personality. Each individual person, their story will get shared in excess of 40,000 times in a single year. The other 90 percent of us, on average, our stories are shared six times. So advocates are just like writers and musicians. Anybody who's listening to us who knows a musician, like, if they're not singing, they don't feel well. Comedians, you see this all the time now during COVID for comedians, like stand-up comedy stores, that's not going around. And they're like, can I come hang out in your backyard and tell jokes? I mean, can I go do a podcast? Can I go do a thing? Everybody's jumping in. Because if they're not performing, if they're not sharing their story, it makes them not feel good. It makes them feel ill sometimes. That's what you get in advocates. You get people who love your stuff because of your thing. And they want to go share the story.
1: So with that, and I've long thought that word of mouth marketing is the underpinning of success for startups early on. It is the unsung hero, the differentiator between success and not, or at least viral success or explosive growth early on. The underpinning is always people are talking about it over their dinner tables, they're telling their friends, they're unpaid advocates for the brand. Uh, what we've been talking about up to this point is influencer marketing or paid marketing, paying to ge- artificially generate that excitement. What does Fizz marketing do, and how is that different? So, tell us about Fizz marketing and how is it different than what we've been talking about to this point?
2: Ah, so Fizz, all we do is word of mouth, so it's a hundred percent organic.
1: But you're, but so I am paying, but I am no- paying Fizz. I'm sorry. But but clients do pay Fizz money to generate oh, that word of mouth yeah, yeah, marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does they it work? They
2: pay us to organize these things. Like, so we're not one of these companies like, I have a list of influencers and we will reach them out in a network. You know, when people say that to me, I'm like, you are a lying liar from liar stand. Yeah. You no more have a list of influencers than I have a list of cool people.
1: So what, I, do, what does Fizz do to generate the, that word of mouth?
2: So Fizz knows that advocates are 10 percent of whatever target group you're talking about and we know that they have three particular personality traits right they like to try new things because they're new they love to share stories with their friends and they're intrinsically motivated we also know that a story that is most likely to get shared between two people who know each other has three qualities to it or if you like acronyms it has air a-i-r they are authentic they are interesting And those stories are relevant. So we help. Startups, big companies, small companies, medium sized companies, figure out what that story is and then make sure that the target is going to care about that story and then the art. And so that's a lot of science and some art. And then then the, the last bit. And for those of you who have not heard me say this before, I think all marketing starts with math and ends with art. So the art part of this is how do you share that story within the target audience without seeming to interrupt them or intercept them? Like you just don't want to, I mean, that's the worst thing about, the worst thing about retargeted ads online are not that they don't make sense to you, is that they're getting in the way. Like I do not want to see an ad for that. I was trying to go to CNN or I was trying to go to civilizationgames.com I was not trying to look at Viking River Cruises. I might be interested in Viking River Cruises. I might be in the market for a new Porsche, but I'm a smart, intelligent person who has a good command of English and knows how to operate a keyboard. So when I'm ready to go to Porsche or, uh, or Honda or wherever I'm ready to go, I will go there. And you putting an ad in there does not really remind me to go do something that I didn't wanna do. Nor, I would posit to you, you get a lot of North Americans to be like, oh, yeah, we need a new car, so I should totally go to Honda. Thank you for reminding me Honda with that ad. That is assuming that all of your, uh, all of your audience is stupid and stupid on a level that doesn't really allow them to be a functional person in North America today. And we know that's not true. So what we ought to be doing as brands, is we ought to be figuring out how to share our story in a way that doesn't interrupt or intercept. And how do you so do that? that? Are
1: you emailing people? Are you, are you writing stories and posting them on the internet? I know the answer, but I'm, I'm priming you.
2: No, no. Very it's, it's,
1: tactically, what? Because we do have entrepreneurs that listen to the show and that reach out to us with questions. And I think there's the, the, the question that I think some of those folks are thinking, because it's what I'm thinking, is. How do I generate word of mouth marketing? Truly, uh, you know, on my own, but more specifically with, with what I'm asking you is, what does Fizz do to generate word of mouth marketing very tactically?
2: So on a tactical side, for all of you who are listening, let, let's make a big note of this in a big black pen on a piece of paper. There are no tools that you can't use, including TV ads, including billboards, including bus stop signs. The question is, are your ads, is your marketing generating conversation? So the question is not, what should I be using? The question is, does it generate conversation? And I would like to show an excellent example. I think Fernando down at Burger King and all the rest of the agencies do a marvelous job doing television, doing billboards, doing all this stuff that totally generate Tons of conversations, and so Fernando and the rest of the team at Burger King they get to sell way more Burger King than they used to sell, because Fernando and his team is out there saying, "Okay, how are we going to create conversation? What is our story? All right, so our story is we're taking all the artificial ingredients out of the lopper." Raise your hand if you care. It turns out nobody in America raises their hand, and they say, "Okay, how do we get people to care? How do we get people to notice this and ask us questions about it?" I know. Let's take a Whopper and just put it in a box for 60 days and take a picture every five hours and let's show it getting moldy. And then let's make a a billboard and all this out of home stuff that shows the moldy Whopper. And then let's tell everybody when they say, why are you doing this? Like, oh my God, I'm so glad you asked that. It's because we took all the artificial ingredients out. And you're like, oh, there's no more artificial ingredients in a Whopper. That's cool. So see how that's different than me just saying, now with no more artificial ingredients. One, I'm not sure if I believe that. Two, I don't care. And (laughs) I see a picture of a moldy Whopper. I am coming to you. I'm saying, yo, in the history of hamburger ads, I've never seen a picture of one that's gross and disgusting. Why is it all got blue mold fungus hair all over it? Right. And
1: the big distinction here is not that it's, I've never seen an ad like this. It's that this ad tells a specific story for a specific brand in a specific way that is tailored to that company that will resonate with that customer base. Like to your point earlier, it's different for everyone, right? There is not a formulaic approach to this. To your point, you know, everybody needs to find what works for them. No tools are not at your disposal. No options are off the table. What is interesting to your story, to your product, to your customer?
2: That is that is a hundred percent true. So we always talk about um, that we are agnostic about the tool, but we are fundamentalist that everything creates conversation. Like we've gotten every, and I know this might seem weird in the age of Covid, but for the last seven years, we've been trying to get everybody in America to get a flu test, Not a flu shot, but a flu test. So if you feel sick, that thing that you see the stick up your nose thing, so you should be doing that for flu, even in the pre-COVID world, because even though you know Orange Julius Caesar says a lot of stuff that is not true, one of the true numbers he did say is that we lose forty to seventy thousand people a year dying from like regular flu. That is one hundred percent true, and the people that are involved with making flu tests would like that to go to zero. And there's no medical reason why those numbers couldn't go to zero if everyone knew they had the flu. So previous to COVID, we have a dozen. VW bugs that we have reformatted and they look like an H1N1 virus going down the road and people stop and we have a thousand, two thousand conversations a day per bug with different people about this and the amount of flu tests over the last seven years taking out the COVID thing because that doesn't really count in a pandemic. But we have significantly increased the number and intelligence around flu testing pre-COVID. And then of course now with the COVID test that our client has developed, now we're out there and they have a really good one. You don't have to stick the stick right up your nose. It's just in your nose. You can basically, you get 92% accuracy and the thing only goes as far up in your nose as you can stick your index finger.
0: So a lot of what you're doing at Fizz is creating these activations that will attract potential advocates people who are influencers in everyday life to one another. And they come over to the activation because it's interesting to them and they want to learn, they want to gather information, right? And then they'll take that story and share it with their friends. And so you're helping companies come up with the story that they're going to tell. And then these are the activations that are going to be, it could be activations, it could be other things as well, but primarily activations because that is something that's very tangible that you can do repeatedly in a particular location in a certain city over and over again so that you have enough conversations initially being started, then those people go and share it with, what, seven to 10 other people, and then they share it with other people. And so if you keep seeding those stories over and over again, eventually people just all are talking about it. You kind of reach a, a tipping point as M- Malcolm Gladwell's book would talk about it, as you get enough people talking about a certain product or service And it just starts naturally expanding its reach.
2: Yes, we are functionally Malcolm's original article in the New Yorker or his book. We are that made real. The other
0: companies I think have done this well. uh, I think Casper did this incredibly well early on. They had this story of here's this mattress comes in a box. They're the first one to be big with that. And people were sharing their stories everywhere. And even being to the point where they were excited to videotape it and send it to their friends and send it back to Casper. And Casper just created a platform for them to share that. And they had this product that kind of sold itself in that regard. And they, and they seated like this is the perfect mattress and it can get to you really fast and easy. Warby Parker, obviously I think did this really well. I mean, you were a big part of that Finn early on when you were doing a lot of their activations, mm-hmm. trying to get the word out about them.
1: Yeah. We, we, we you know, I, what, one thing I think that's coming up, right. And, that I wanted to ask you is we talk a lot about marketing your business model here on the show and with consumer startup culture, especially with the direct consumer industry, there has been a plethora of companies more and more every day that think that if they start a company online and they can sell quote, direct consumer cutting out the middleman, right? What are your thoughts on companies, a whole age of companies using the same, Story, essentially, as an approach to create word of mouth marketing and virality for their business. I mean, they're not coming up with that many original ideas. They're just saying, we're cutting out the middleman and selling direct consumer. And they think that that will move the needle to some degree. And the reason they think that is because for so long, it worked for a lot of companies, it was working, and it was highly effective to mimic Warby Parker, to mimic Casper, to mimic that early early age of companies, and just to say, hey, I'm cutting out the middleman and selling online. And not all of those companies needed to do that. It wasn't actually the val- the, the true value of their business. What are your thoughts on that? I know there are exceptions to that rule all over the place, you know, Burrow being an obvious one, but What are your thoughts on that?
2: So in our shop, we call that the Greek yogurt strategy. So after the guy started Chobani, he's like, no, this is what yogurt should really be like. And his parents and his grandparents, his great-grandparents have been making yogurt, so they're really new. And then everybody kind of copied that. So the thing that was cool about Warby was not how they were selling. So we call that, we call the how they were selling that, YGAF, like who gives a fig or whatever other F word you want to put in.
1: (laughs) Who gives a fizz?
2: Who gives, the, who gives a fizz. What we thought was interesting was the power of the story. Yep. So the power of Arby Parker's story was, hey, man, those glasses that cost you like 400 bucks for the frames, they cost like $9 for somebody to make. So what we're going to do is we're going to sell you one of these pairs for 99 bucks. And we'll ship you order, order five, see which one looks cool send the other four back and it's a hundred bucks for us it it, was
1: glasses should not cost as much as an iphone there you go that was the original original thing that the rallying cry was glasses should not cost as much as an iphone
2: so part of their story is kind of sam walton like it shouldn't cost that much and then part of it was llb and they put it together because they saw this was like so this is fundamentally stupid and, you know, both Mr. Warby and Mr. Parker could go out there and share the story. And then right. here comes Mr. Phineas to share the story with more people. Right. And they're like, you're right. And then I can only imagine early on that it was, okay, once we get somebody, now we now we need to see how easy the process is. And it was great. I mean, I remember ordering five and, you know, they, they came in the little box and they came in the tray and you could get up to five. And I was like, hey, these are awful on me. Oh, These are cool. These are cool. My right. wife has a better sense of style than I did, and she picks the one that is good, and I get the right prescription put in there, and uh, you know we're done. And I sent the other four back, and it cost me a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Like this pair right here that I'm holding up, that nobody can see because this is radio. So this is like an a, this is an OG Warby Parker pair um, that has lasted for me, and I don't. And that, those are my those are my readers, and I think those companies that have been less successful. I think their their problem is that their story was either undifferentiated or the story didn't match the experience. So for me, famously, there is a luggage company that tried to do this DTC thing. But when you and everyone's like, oh, the luggage is really good. And it doesn't cost nearly as much as these other guys. But when you bought the piece of luggage, you're like, this doesn't roll as well as the other one. And look, if you're only going on three trips a year, why were you buying the 400, the 700, the $2,000 one? But if you're like me pre-COVID and I was probably 200,000 air miles a year, um, so I'm you know I'm up and down twice a week. You can totally tell the difference. And I would no more buy a $100 or $200 uh, case because you don't put all the money in the ball bearings and the size of the wheel. And the nylon that you can throw it in the back of the cab and it doesn't look like an ass after six months. But
1: but a- if you're talking about a way, they raised hundreds of millions of dollars, mil- hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. That are million. The founders are millionaires. I mean, what you know? What's the issue? Like, I-, I want I want us to be. What I think is so important, and I think is so uh, challenging about our world of consumer brands is that so many of the things that we know to be flawed and we believe fundamental to fundamental to building a good business are proven wrong in the short term with some of these consumer brands and then it takes a long time after a lot of people have made a lot of money to bear out the reality that the way that they were building those businesses is flawed
0: yeah how did they get successful when their the word of mouth story wasn't there i agree with you it wasn't there it was like it, and you even asked people who had it they were like yeah i bought it it's this like cool thing and they said the same thing you just said ted like oh it's cheaper it's not like i bought a samsonite suitcase uh last time i bought a suitcase because i looked and it actually was less it cost less than the away bag and also had better reviews online and so i just couldn't put it together what was the story and why are people why are people talking about it like oh, i bought this really cool new brand even the, and then how's the product uh, yeah it's okay like so why is it taking off so
2: well so one um, we also elected somebody for president that probably was not qualified and we also have the pet rock and we also have boy bands <laughs> so it is not you can sell stuff in America. I mean, the story, the joke I always tell is somebody liked the TV show so much the name the children Walker and Texas Ranger. Right? That does not mean that Walker, Texas Ranger is going to be, you know, a story that lives for the ages. I think Warby Parker will be an ongoing brand idea company five decades from now. Not for those of you are listening, not because I like Steven and I know about his company, but I think Burrow will be the same way. I think other companies that we have talked about probably won't be. And this is not because it's fundamentally bad. It is because the story that people tell does not match with the experience. So
1: longevity, sustainability, longevity, quality. Uh, you well,
2: quality for what you expect. I have no problem with Away or um the pet rock or i like uh this boy band and i like this boy band you are free to do whatever you want the question is for those of you who are listening how do you make an ongoing concern and when we talk about story and phineas was getting to uh, this to uh, the point the story has to match the experience because if an advocate puts themselves out there and shares the story and I say, oh, my God, high road ice cream. This is the best craft ice cream I've had in five years. And my friend tastes it and they're like, huh, it's OK. You're like, but that's not what Ted said. Ted said this was amazing. And so if they don't think it is or they don't think Fortaleza tequila is amazing, then I lose my credibility. And me, if I was an advocate, I don't want to do that. Because I get a tremendous amount of joy, the data nerds in the business, uh, the index value for how much fun an advocate has in sharing a story runs 315. For the non-native data nerds, uh, that means that advocates get three times the amount of fun out of sharing a story with somebody as a normal person. So don't get in the way of my fun.
0: No, you're you're so spot on. I mean, it's it's true. Like if if the product or the service or whatever it is doesn't live up to the hype, it's gonna die at some point. And a brand might be really good at selling it up front. They have a really sleek brand story. Maybe they have some celebrities involved right and it's it's generating a lot of initial buzz to get people over the first hurdle of like oh, i'm going to try this out i haven't heard about anybody else but it seems like a lot of people are buying it so there's the validation i'm going to buy it if they don't like it or it doesn't it's not quite living up to their expectations you're right they're not going to share it that much and so that company is going to have to spend a lot more money in the long run because they have to keep acquiring new customers all the time and that costs a lot of money and this is where word of mouth marketing is so great and I'll give a couple examples like Tommy John underwear, right? I'd heard it was so great. I'd heard it was so great. Finally tried it. I only, I only own Tommy John and I'm sure there are other underwear brands that sell really great underwear that are probably similar quality, but I like these and I tell people about it and, 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 and I like telling people about it. And there's other products that I use that are like that and those brands are in the long run going to last and and become more and more profitable because it's free marketing. And I have no problem giving them free marketing because I appreciate that they deliver it on a kick-ass product that I'm going to keep buying over and over again. So it's like, I feel like I'm giving back to them in a sense because uh, I, I appreciate being able to use their products.
1: But what do you say to the early stage entrepreneur, both of you, That is feeling really discouraged because all they've been reading about for the last five to 10 years are companies that they see uh, are are these wildly celebrated startups that they see a, a story that does not align with a message that does not align with the product or with the experience and they think that they're not doing it right yet. All they read about are these companies doing exceptionally well in the press, and they're feeling discouraged because they say, "Well, I think I am doing it right, or at least I'm trying to do it right." Should I? Ju- are you telling me I should just sell out and sell a different story, and then I can make, I can no, raise a hundred million dollars? I'll tell you what; those companies, those whoa, 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 whoa. those Teddy,
0: entrepreneurs Teddy. should ignore the ones that defy logic right there's you're always going to read about somebody who won the lottery or like the person who joined some random startup for no particular reason in the company like they joined snowflake early on and now they're worth 20 million dollars because the company just ipo it at 70 billion dollars like there's going to be people that jump in line in life ignore those people what okay. these entrepreneurs should know is that it takes time to build virality around your product and brand like to do it the old fashioned way and the way that is lasting, it takes longer than you think. A lot of these brands that you're hearing about blowing up right now, many of them were started five to seven years ago, not yesterday. Casper is an anomaly. Like you can't look at, and to your point, Ted, Casper got lucky with people sharing the unboxing videos. That was not part of their strategy. Like from day one, they wanted to just make a great mattress and build a nice brand around it. They got lucky with that part. Um, so you can't count on that, but you can count on it. if you make a really great product and then figuring out the right way to share the story, and then you have to let, give it time to breathe so that people can share the story. If, if I tell one person and they tell 10 people, and then they, each of those people tell 10 people, right? Like in the beginning, it takes time for each of those conversations to happen, but eventually that becomes really powerful. And, and, and Ted, I want you to elaborate on this point because I know you guys have a. Uh, a, a, a geographic strategy here with with word of mouth marketing too. And I, I want you to explain that because I think that to me was the most scientific and also like fascinating behind the scenes magic behind what you do and what successful brands do if they can tap into this.
2: So, all right, uh, I want to throw out for everyone who's listening to this, that Phineas, the one word answer to your question that I would have is Theranos, right? oh why are we not this guy okay if it's too good to be true brothers and sisters it probably is (laughs) what what all right we're going to put several facts together and then it's going to be into a strategy. so in our experience over the last 20 years there are 12 markets in the united states that really dominate the conversation and in order they are new york and la are number one and number one. Dallas is number three, Chicago is four, Atlanta is five, and either San Francisco or Seattle is six. Whichever is not sixth is seventh, and we split up, and then it comes Denver, Houston, Miami, Philadelphia, and Detroit. Those are the 12 cities where if you can dominate the conversation in those 12 cities, you will control the entire country. An advocate has three particular personality traits. They like to try new things because they're new, okay? So if you're looking for the new, you're looking for the different, you like to hang out with other people who are doing the new and the different. And over the last 240 years, those 12 cities have been those cities where people will come together. New York and LA are definitely the national cities. People are like, I'm living in Pascagoula, Mississippi, or Enid, Oklahoma, and I've got to move to New York City or I've got to move to LA. The other cities are the regional ones. What that means for you is if you dominate Chicago and all the conversation in Chicago, and you're doing all this cool stuff in Chicago, all of the venues, all of the brick and mortar, all of the press, and when I say press, I'm talking about uh, press, traditional press, but also all the bloggers and all the rest of the vloggers and all the rest of those people. They are looking to go know what's going on in Chicago. Nobody is sitting in, in Columbus, Ohio saying, hey, this is really cool in Indianapolis. So I should totally check this out. That is not what they're doing. They're looking at Chicago. Mm,
1: feel like I could go for another five hours. I think word of mouth marketing is the least talked about and the most important piece for why companies succeed early on. And I don't have as much sophistication when it comes to companies that are multinational, but I would imagine it's much the same and it doesn't change.
2: You know what, it it doesn't change. Uh, A friend of mine runs a big piece of a huge global beer company. Same thing for him as it is for Steven. it was for you at Warby Parker, it's the same deal. You need people to share your brand story with other people in order to get growth that beats what the average is.
0: Ted, thank you so much for being on the
2: show. I really appreciate it. David, thanks for asking. I mean, it's it's always fun to see people that are doing well and uh, I always appreciate having being able to you know share the word on WOM.
0: It's, it's been incredibly impactful to our business and I, I do think this is gonna be really helpful for
2: a lot of our listeners. Cool. Class dismissed.
1: If you are wondering how you could support this show, the best thing you can do is subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, hit the subscribe button. So you'll be notified when we come out with a new episode.